The wealth of information that is out there is hard to discover. There are a lot of security practices that have been developed in recent years that, while great and fantastic, the security ecosystem can do a better job of making it easier for software engineers and open source to adopt and to practice. Welcome to the Open at Intel podcast, where we're all about open source, from software to security to innovation and beyond. I'm your host, Katherine Druckmann, an open source evangelist at Intel bringing you leading-edge, free-ranging conversations from some of the best minds in the open-source community. Let's get into it. While at KubeCon, I sat down with Emily Fox of Red Hat, who is also the current chair of the Cloud Native Computing Foundation's Technical Oversight Committee. We discussed everything from security challenges faced by developers and open-source maintainers to the importance of empathy and community in open-source success. Enjoy! Thank you, Emily. First, I, you know, KubeCon is an intense experience. Everybody's so busy and calendars are packed. And I appreciate you taking some time out to talk. Um, I know I know your calendar in particular is extremely busy because as we will get to in a minute, you you have you wear a lot of hats. Yes. So so tell us just a little bit about your current hat and the, the other the community hats you wear. Okay. So my current hat is red. I work for Red Hat. I'm our security lead in emerging technologies. Um, and I'm also our security community architect in the open source program office in the office of the CTO for Red Hat. Um, that means I lead a team of some fabulous engineers who are researching, discovering, and developing new technologies to solve customer problems and even community and ecosystem problems. Some of the areas that we're working on right now is um, continuing to refine SIGStore within software supply chains. So that one's pretty popular. We're also working on remote attestation of nodes so that we can inject cryptographic identities and bring them all the way from the node up into the workload. Those are just a few of the topic areas that our team is focused on right now. Um, as far as security community architect goes, it means I pay a lot of attention to all of the open source ecosystems out there, what security activities are ongoing, whether or not it's post-quantum cryptography or financial services, common cloud controls, um, new trusted hardware that's coming out to help advance remote attestation capabilities and confidential computing as well. So it's, it's a big ecosystem. There's a lot of things that are going on and I try to stay on top of it. Um, but that's just what I do for Red Hat. Um, I'm also in open source. I've been in open source for several years now. Um, primarily, I am the Technical Oversight Committee Chair of the Cloud Native Computing Foundation. Um, that group is responsible for overseeing over 175 open source projects within CNCF, um, understanding how adopters are using them, learning more about the projects and helping them reach a level of maturity that gives end users and adopting organizations confidence that they are production ready. Um, in addition to that, I am the TOC liaison for Tag Contributor Strategy, it's a technical advisory group, as well as Tag Environmental Sustainability. So I help them accomplish their goals and objectives, providing coaching, mentoring, and guidance both to the cha chairs, working group leads, and helping them figure out like what's the next step to advance that particular domain area. Um, prior to all of these things, or more recently, I used to be the co-chair for KubeCon Cloud Native Con for three times, uh, Detroit, Amsterdam, and Valencia. I also helped out with China the year before, but had a terrible car accident and was unable to make it. 
So it's it's been a long journey and I've learned a lot and I love meeting with community members and hearing their stories and seeing how I can help them on their next career growth opportunity. That's that's a that's a good story. So tell me a little bit how did you get into the security field in the first place? What drew you to it? Um, well, I have not always been in technology and I have not always been in security. Uh, prior to joining the tech ecosystem, I was a creative director for an entertainment company. So I did wedding planning, event planning, set and prop design, made costumes, maintained costumes. Um, I did large scale event planning for huge organizations like Baltimore Zubu. I helped decorate for Halloween one year, which was an excellent project. But eventually I got tired of working the extremely long hours, um, committing myself over 110% and needed a change. So I bounced around from a few different jobs and then was fortunate enough to get an opportunity with a Department of Defense contractor. I worked on some contract work for them for a while, doing business expenses, financial expenses for contract work, contract proposals, things like that. And then had an amazing opportunity from a program manager who recognized a lot of potential in me, put me on a six month rotation program to learn all about the contract that I was supporting at the time and kind of got my hands dirty and helping them advance where they were heading with those projects eventually bounced around to a few more contracts and then flipped blue. So I became a government (laughs) civilian Um, and through a lot of different organizational changes, ultimately ended up as the DevOps security lead and the developer security lead for the National Security Agency. Wow. Yeah. That is quite a a career. Yeah. It's been a lot of fun, but it was really at the agency is what got me into open source and open source security because I was doing security at the time trying to automate the risk management framework for anybody that's listening and is trying to get an ATO you know how painful that is I've been (laughs) through that ringer but a lot of what I did was try to learn and understand new and emerging technologies at the time like cloud was booming at the time and take how they were actually implemented understand the security assurances that were being provided and translate into national security systems and how do we make sure that those technologies are actually meeting our, our goals and objectives to protect the mission. That's cool. It's um, you know, it's funny. I, I think as civilians, we have a we we have a perception of what the NSA is, and it's very dark and mysterious. But I, I've met quite a few people who have come from that world, and they're they're all lovely people. I promise. Yeah, uh, yeah it's um, fascinating. Wow. You know, it's funny. I have an art background too. My education is all art and art history, That's and somehow fantastic. I ended up here. I, you know, it's it's. I don't know. I think, I think those th- those of us with non-traditional, if whatever that means, the, those backgrounds can can have a lot to contribute and a different perspective, which mm-hmm. is valuable. Um, so yeah, so let's get into the security stuff. Um, given given your positions, you know, you see a lot, right? I mean, that's yep. that is what you do. You you monitor, you 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 track, and and you have a, a unique view on the entire landscape. I think more so than than others might. Um, so what, what are the greatest challenges that you see that open source maintainers have in keeping their projects secure? The wealth of information that is out there is hard to discover. There are a lot of security practices that have been developed in recent years that, while great and fantastic, the security ecosystem can do a better job of making it easier for software engineers and open source to adopt and to practice and making it well known what the value and the benefit of those things are to them. Um, we, we still have a long way to go. Projects like SIGSTORE are a really good example of the step in the right direction, but we, we can always do more. Security should not be an, yet another job for a developer. 
it should be something that they don't even have to think about because the security engineers have done such an excellent job of making it just a first-class citizen within the ecosystem, within the infrastructure, within CICD systems, that they don't have to worry about it. It's clear what the expectations are when somebody goes to submit a PR. We run the CICD tests against it to make sure it's meeting all the security goals and objectives and be upfront about what those are so that they're not surprised if the build fails or we kick it out of a pipeline. There's so many more things that we could be doing, and we just need to get together and, and start figuring that out and listening to developers and maintainers in the ecosystem. What are, what are some, some hurdles to, to making it easier? I, I, I love the idea of, you know, we all talk about shifting left and, and, and getting, you know, addressing security early on, and, and somehow that conversation tends to evolve into kind of pointing fingers at developers and saying, do it better, do better. Um, but how... To me, doing better is making it default, right? The easy way is the secure way. Um, and I know a lot of people feel that way, but what are, the big, what are the big hurdles in the way of that? Well, part of it is, is that we've shifted left. That, yeah. that to me is a, is a challenge because when we just shift left, we're moving all of the security practices into where developers actually are. And that's part of the problem. We're overwhelming them with, okay, you fix this CVE. Now there's another one. Now you need to rebuild your container image and it also has to pass these checks. And oh, by the way, there's compliance mechanisms that have to be evaluated as well. But we really should be expanding left. Um, when we're talking about security holistically for software development or even organizations that are building software and releasing it or deploying it in their environments, we need to think about it as a sandwich. We need to ensure that we're empowering developers to know what the security expectations are. And then on the other end, catching anything that came through. So kind of meeting in the middle with all of our security practices. And it sounds like it's a little bit of overkill, but realistically, if you set expectations early and often and are consistent with them, there will be no surprises that come out of the other side of it. So I, I'm a big proponent of expanding left instead of just shifting left, because now we're running into problems with what a day two and day three operations look like for some of these projects being deployed into production environments. People just really don't understand what to do when they have a security incident. What are those practices? And it's not often talked about enough. So again, as we're shifting left and put, <laughs> putting more burden on developers potentially, what advice do you have for developers to expand their security expertise? One is be open to it. I've met with a lot of maintainers and contributors to open source projects, both within cloud native and outside of the ecosystem. And we need to be mindful that there is more than just the cloud native community out there that's impacted by some of our security practices. There are some old school open source developers that are not necessarily anti-security, but they firmly believe in it's just open source. I'm contributing my code for the common good and I'm not gonna do anything else. There's no guarantees associated with it. And that's just the reality of the world that we live in. But there are a lot of developers that want to do the right thing. They just want to get it done so they can go back to software engineering, feature fixes and releases and things like that. And we need to ensure that we're hearing them, listening to both sides of that discussion and figuring out how we can get security injected into open source projects or at least put the guardrails and the gates up before they're being consumed by other open source projects so that they can be successful in their response. I was talking with a community member today um, who's one of the maintainers or, or they're on the security team for an open source project. Um, and they were lamenting about the fact that it's so difficult to manage CVEs, particularly ones that have a high impact and might be under embargo. And right now, 
organizations and cloud service providers have an excellent opportunity. They're on pre-embargo lists so that they get notification of critical vulnerabilities before they blow up in the ecosystem. And our open source project maintainers don't have the same opportunity unless the vulnerability originates from their project themselves. So I, I have to ask, because everybody's very excited about this, but do you have any thoughts on the role that AI can play in securing software. I'm glad you, you asked about it. It's been a hot topic this week. Yes, I, I've been asked about it pretty much with everybody I talk to. Um, I, and, but I want to take it back a little bit to pre-AI days and actually really early on. Security technologists generally have this like late bandwagon syndrome that when there's new technical innovation that comes out, we're usually years behind applying security practices to it until the DevOps movement really started to take off. And there were a bunch of security professionals in the community that were like, hey, wait a minute, <laughs> this is going to cause a lot of problems if we allow it to happen. But rather than saying no, they said, yes, but how do we make it work? And that's really where the DevSecOps movement came out. But I, I'm, I'm still very DevOps is security. Um, and we're seeing that with AI as well, is what allowed DevSecOps to take place through automation practices and injecting security scanning within those automation pipelines, we're starting to have similar conversations with AI, where advancements in software supply chain security allowed us to develop the muscle memory and the reflexes on how we secure software supply chains. We're now starting to apply those principles and practices to AI systems. How do we ensure that AI models are built with the integrity mechanisms that we expect? How do we know whether or not the response that's coming back from a generative AI system is a hallucination or not? And if you don't have the context to make that decision, it becomes more challenging. But again, all of these conversations so far have been really about generative AI, which is what's most approachable for most people. Right. They can see it and they can interact with it. But there's a lot more to it than there's just that. There's predictive AI. And that's really where I see the industry kind of heading as we start looking at how do we take uh, large language models or AI workloads and enable them within our infrastructure. It's more, more about what are their special needs so that we can ensure our projects and our products are capable of adapting to them. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's really you know, and it's it's such an interesting field. And you know, I mentioned actually just yesterday the um, OpenSSF and DARPA got together and, and launched this cyber challenge. I, I incorrectly called it a hackathon for some reason because that word. Well, there's a bunch of hackathons around AI yeah, out there now yeah, too. Yeah, that is a, that is a, also a thing. But there are yeah. So that so I guess that's. Um, I wonder, are you optimistic about all of the work? being kind of poured into this arena that, that some some really good solutions are going to come out of this work. Yes and no. I'm going to say I have some pessimistic optimism on the okay. topic. Sounds good. We're in this interesting hype cycle associated with AI. Everybody wants to get involved. Everybody's like, oh, look at all these great things that I can do. But realistically, we've not kind of had the adult conversation of just because we can, should we? If what we're doing in AI is critical enough to the success of technology, um, no one's countering that, that argument really heavily with, don't we realize the CPU utilization associated with these workloads? How much that's going to impact us? Um, I've had a lot of these discussions with folks in TAG Environmental Sustainability as well as uh, CNCF's AIML working group that's been set up recently about how do we meet in the middle? How do we responsibly allow these workloads to run in our environments while balancing the CPU needs of our organizations so that we can responsibly continue to be technical leaders in this space? Okay, 
that's very cool. So tell me, what else are you excited about? Like, generally speaking, in the open source world, there there's always a lot going on. I've, I've been around open source for so long, and I've seen so many um, hype cycles, like you say. I've seen I've seen the ebb and flow of, of various types of technology, and and I just I think open source attracts some very interesting people. So there's I feel like there's always something to be excited about. So I wondered. You know, what's catching your eye that maybe isn't directly related to your work, but is something if you had some spare time you'd want to dive into? Um, I would say probably, so I was in a governing board town hall panel yesterday, and there was a group of black engineers that joined the panel session, and they very astutely asked the hard question in the room of what are you doing to increase black voices within the cloud native and technical ecosystem? And they're not the only ones that have been asking that question. Tag Contributor Strategy set up a deaf and hard of hearing working group this year, which is why you see so many of the ADA and accessibility signs posted everywhere. We actually have a deaf and hard of hearing group of engineers throughout the conference. Um, that are very approachable. They're very friendly individuals. If you have a chance to say hi to them, please do so. Um, But we need to do better in diversity and inclusion, but also accessibility within our ecosystem. We've made a lot of strides, and the cloud-native ecosystem is probably one of the most welcoming and diverse, but we also have a darker side to that. There are community members that still don't consider free thought, they don't have considerations for their fellow peers and what they might be experiencing. So they go into an attack mode and that's actually very damaging both to our community members that are still trying to break in who've spent five plus years advancing and bringing others along beside them. And now that they've been attacked, um, they just want to completely withdraw. And for an ecosystem that needs its maintainers, its contributors and its leaders, we need to do a better job of not only supporting them in their beliefs, but also ensuring that there's a balanced side of that conversation, that we're open and that we're listening and we're supportive of each other and believing in each other's potential. That's great. Um, yeah, I, I, I wholeheartedly agree. When communities like this can be very complicated. You have, you know, ideally we do, rep- we have representation from all over the world, from people who bring completely different perspectives and come from different cultures and backgrounds, because that is, that's how you make technology better. If you don't include everybody, you're missing pieces. You're missing important pieces of the puzzle that come from having those different perspectives, in my opinion, especially in security. Like, if you're if you're not listening to the person who is the most vulnerable, potentially, well, you're, you're definitely missing. Like, there's... It, it's not even just making the time to listen to them. There are a lot of people that are introverts. You and I were talking about that recently. Um, I've talked about that a lot with this conference um, for people that are kind of shy and don't know how to get into the ecosystem. When we're bringing others into the conversation, in addition to just listening, we also need to make sure that we're providing them the space to have a voice, either publicly or maybe even privately, reaching out to somebody in a Slack DM after a meeting and say, hey, did you have any care, any considerations or concerns that you wanted to elevate or maybe you had a recommendation to this this problem area that we need to fully explore more? How do I empower you to make your voice heard? Because I don't want to take those ideas from you. I want to be your amplifier to make sure right. that they are heard. Yeah, I love it. Well, yeah. And then, and then once you're heard, please re- work up the courage to come and talk to me and sit in front of a microphone. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yeah, and we'll, we'll elevate it even further. 
Um, I wanted to one, ask you one last thing, and that's about uh, developer experience, especially when we talk about DevOps and, and you know, and, and DevOps is security, as you say, right? In my DevOps experience, personally, when I was working in that area, I was always very concerned with developer experience because, again, when you know you, you can face roadblocks like uh, slow feedback loops or, or things that make your job difficult. And I wondered if you have any thoughts on, on how to best address the security needs and, and, and the, the needs of the, of the software itself and the automation versus the needs of the people working with it. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. It's funny that as an open source ecosystem with developers contributing code to create projects that we still suffer from this developer experience problem. It's very difficult for a new contributor in open source to kind of onboard to some of these projects, particularly the projects that have been in the ecosystem for a really long period of time. The code bases are extremely complex. Maybe they have robust documentation, but maybe they don't. A lot of people don't think about developers' experience as being the embodiment of keep it simple, stupid. And, and I feel like that's something that we should be bringing into the conversation is like, this is really cool tech, but how do we make it easier? How do we make it simpler? How do we reduce the amount of complexity that's being introduced? And how do we decrease the barrier to entry for somebody to onboard into it? How do we ensure that we're understanding what their goals and objectives are and what they're trying to use this for? Because it's not the same for every developer. Uh, somebody that's working and contributing code to a financial services open source project, for instance, is going to have very different care and consideration than someone that's contributing code to a video game engine in open source. So there's a lot of opportunities for us to learn, but we also need to consider that someone else's needs may not be the same as mine. And while I'm really close to a project and I get it, nobody else is going to be that close. And I really need to take a step back and consider from the outside looking in, what is this experience for people? That's fantastic. So um, again, I don't want to take up too much of your time, although I could go all day. Uh, is there anything that you wish that I had asked? Something that you wanted to share that, that we didn't get to? I don't necessarily think so, but I, I will just put it out there for anybody that's listening is take the time to ask meaningful and engaging questions that aren't necessarily outcome oriented. We need to do better at seeking to understand and to learn and have empathy with each other. And through that, I feel like we can build a more supportive community, both for our technologists and our organizations, but also with each other. Take the time to check in, say, how are you doing? not what are you working on? Ask them that question. And it can be about their work. It can be about their personal life. And it could just be, yeah, I'm doing good. Thanks for asking, how are you? And being nice and having that kindness is super important. And we really need that as we're still coming out of the pandemic and learning how to socialize with each other again. <laughs> That's fair, 100%. Well, thank you so much. Those are great parting words. And I, I really appreciate uh, again, you sitting down and taking some time and, and sharing with the people listening. Yeah, thanks so much, Catherine. I really appreciate you having me on. It's been a pleasure. Fantastic. You've been listening to Open at Intel. Be sure to check out more from the Open at Intel podcast at open.intel.com slash podcast and at Open at Intel on Twitter. We hope you join us again next time to geek out about open source.